As a medical professional, you're probably consumed by your work. Because of that, you likely miss out on big opportunities to protect and grow the wealth you work so hard for. Luckily, through passive real estate investing, you can place your capital in the hands of trusted syndicators who do all the legwork while you sit back and let your money work for you. Syndicators like Ascent Equity Group. Ascent Equity Group is led by three medical professionals turned full-time real estate investors who have secured a quarter of a billion dollars in assets in just three years. And their latest opportunity, Sunrise and Chandler, is open now. Sunrise and Chandler is an exciting 177-unit value-add multifamily opportunity in the affluent city of Chandler, Arizona. This Class B asset in a Class A location was secured at a significant discount and is already cash flowing out of the gate, with 89% of the units still in need of renovation. Sunrise and Chandler is close to meeting its capital raising goal and will be closing soon. So if you'd like to learn more, visit ascentequitygroup.com forward slash best deal to schedule a call. That's A-S-C-E-N-T equitygroup.com slash best deal. This opportunity is open to accredited investors only. People reading the newspaper, then they're reading this, and then they go to seminar and they want to sell and we finance and check. Just do the most important action. Nothing. It's also the hardest action. Before we get into it, I want to introduce you to Groundbreaker, today's sponsor and partner. They are an all-in-one suite of tools for small to medium-sized real estate syndicators. They've got a special focus on real estate syndicators with 1 million to 100 million assets under management. They help you increase productivity and investor satisfaction by automating fundraising, reporting, and investor relations through elegant and powerful workflows built by syndicators for syndicators. Groundbreaker will help you scale your business without the need to scale your overhead. So they're going to help reduce your costs because of the admin team that won't need to be as large. And they're going to help you reduce your risk of data breach because of the security systems that they have in place. They'll help you increase your revenue by growing your assets under management because you're going to be allowed to focus on the things that are most important, like business growth and operations, not those administrative logistics. And ultimately, they're going to help you elevate your company's brand and professionalism and investor experience because your investors are going to enjoy having this platform with all their information versus however you're currently doing it. Three things specifically about Groundbreaker I personally like. One, super easy to use from an investor standpoint and from a general partner standpoint. Two, it allows investors and general partners to fund electronically, meaning that a limited partner can complete their entire subscription and funding cycle without leaving the platform. And on the general partnership side, for distributions, you can set it up so that you can trigger bulk ACH payments within the platform. And then the last thing I really like about Groundbreaker is it's, well, it's cost effective. It's healthy to the bottom line. Their basic plan allows sponsors to sign up for as little as $100 per month with no limits on deals or investors. And you can read all about the pricing on their website. Speaking of their website, it is groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe, J-O-E. And when you go there, groundbreaker.co forward slash J-O-E, you're going to get access to a pitch deck that the Groundbreaker team created so that you have a template 
should you want to use that and customize it for your own deal. So go to groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast where we only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff with us today. Adiel Gorel. How you doing, Adiel? Very well, Joe. It's a pleasure to be on the line with you. Well, it's a pleasure to have you on the show and looking forward to our conversation. A little bit about Adiel. He's a CEO of ICG, a real estate investment firm. ICG has purchased over 10,000 properties based in the San Francisco Bay Area. So with that being said, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus? Of course, of course. Well, you know, I was born into a family that was in real estate development. So as a little kid, whether I wanted to or not, I was privy to the dinner conversations and two things I could hear that my family regretted were the following. One, why didn't we buy these properties 10 years ago? We should have. And the second one is why did we sell these properties 10 years ago? We should have kept them. So as a little boy, I kind of had the idea that probably homes and apartments do people good. I was actually a high-tech guy. I came to the Bay Area to go to Stanford. I taught at Stanford. Then I got my first job at Hewlett Packard Labs. And when you work in Silicon Valley, you get paid quite well. But when I looked at my colleagues, I was a young guy who had been there for 20 years. I didn't see anything impressive on the financial front. They usually just owned their own home and a 401k. I said, that's not going to be the case with me. Due to my background, I started buying rental homes right there where I was living in Silicon Valley. That was in the 1980s. Yes, I started when I was one year old. (laughs) I'm kidding. So the only problem is in Silicon Valley, the numbers were not friendly, even in the 1980s. In other words, the rents were too low relative to the prices. Now, in the 1980s, there was an unwritten rule, never buy more than 30 minutes drive away from where you live. And everybody was following it. And I said, you know what? If I follow that rule, I'm not going to buy very much. And I wanted to buy on a sustained basis. So I went to Vegas and I discovered homes that I could buy for four times less, but they rented for more than half. Now that was completely different. Mm -hmm. So I started flying to Vegas. It's about an hour and a half from the Bay Area. I was flying there every weekend It took me a few months to get my bearings, but pretty soon I had a management company that I liked. I tried two until I found one that I liked. And then a broker, and I was buying properties. I was always an aggressive guy. In that first year, I bought 22 properties. Wow. By the way, it's not as impressive as it may sound. This is the 1980s in Vegas. The average property I bought cost about $40,000. And Fannie Mae allowed you as an investor to put 10% 10% down on it. So if you do the numbers, it's not that impressive. Maybe it's impressive that I did it instead of going to seminars all the time and not really doing anything like my friends. Mm-hmm. But at the end of that year, many of my Silicon Valley friends said, hey, we want to do it too. I said, sure, do it. They said, no, no, we want you to help us. I said, why? 
employer already in Vegas, your managers. So I led a group of maybe 20 people from Silicon Valley, and we bought over 250 properties over a period of about three and a half years. We didn't buy them as a group. Each person bought their own homes, but the Swedish engineer from Silicon Valley who bought only one home because he was a little scared, enjoyed the same clout as if he had bought 250 homes because the service providers, the managers, the brokers knew if he was not happy, he would tell me and then I wouldn't be happy and they could lose 250 homes. That's just very simple. And when Vegas went up very sharply in about 1987, we stopped buying there. We moved to our second market, which was in Portland, where the property taxes are very high, but the prices were so low that it worked. Starting an infrastructure the second time around was much easier because when I talked to property managers, when I was interviewing them, they saw this young guy saying, oh, we're going to buy a lot of properties. And they said, of course, of course, you're not going to buy anything. Mm -hmm. I said, would you like to get on the phone with Vegas managers? And once they did, of course, they came back on their hands and knees. Yes, we want to work with you. <laughs> so we worked in Portland until the boom. Well, you're probably familiar with the boom of 2004 through 2006 mm -hmm. that preceded the big bust. Mm -hmm. But the previous boom was from the end of 1988 through the year of 1989. So when that boom came, the prices in Portland really went up and we moved the whole thing to Phoenix. We moved to Phoenix in 1989. And by that time, I started getting a lot of attention. Who is this crazy guy from Silicon Valley who is buying out of state? And I started getting invited to speak in various clubs and places. And one of the lectures was a reporter for the San Francisco Examiner, which used to exist back then. In the Sunday paper, there was a huge article. The whole thing blew up. Finally, I was having so much fun that I left my entire high-tech life. And we've been doing this for 35 years now. In Phoenix, Phoenix became our biggest market over 21 years. Me, my investors, my friends bought over 3,000 properties. And nationwide in the U.S. over the 35 years, my investors and me and my friends have bought more than 10,000. But the principle is the same. We have an infrastructure in the market that I consider good. And we can talk about that in a second, what I consider good. And of course, if we are buying in a market that we bought 1,500 properties in, and you come in, Joe, and I connect you to the brokers and the managers, you carry the clout of 1,500 homes, even though you're just buying one home. Yep. That makes sense. So from Vegas to Portland to now you're still focused on Phoenix? No, is Phoenix it, is not no? good anymore. Because not good. Phoenix, Where, what are you focused on now? I really should talk about what markets and how. We bought in Phoenix from 1989 to about uh, maybe 2012. But Phoenix now has gone up in value from 2012 until now by 160%. At the same time, the rents only went up 20%. So Phoenix mm. doesn't work. Vegas doesn't work. Dallas doesn't work. Austin, Houston, Nashville, many good markets do not work. So my criteria of where to buy are pretty simple. I've been a student of the demographics in the U.S. for decades. Mm -hmm. And if you look at the U.S. census, you can easily see the part of the country that the demographic growth is the best 
is what I like to call the sunbelt states. So the sunbelt states are states like Nevada, Arizona, Texas, Oklahoma, Louisiana, Florida, Georgia, where the sun shines, you know, in the south. And not only are these states the ones with the biggest growth and demographic growth for the future, and we can talk about why, but we may not have the scope here, they also happen to be states where they are pro-business, which also means they are fair to the landlord. Unlike the state of California, for example, the state of New York, which are very harsh on the landlord, but these states are very good for the landlord, they're affordable. So my first criteria is sunbelt states. Second criteria is pretty self-explanatory. It's large metropolitan areas. And that's because you have job diversity and industry diversity. If one factory, God forbid, goes out of business, there are many, many others. So large metropolitan areas in the Sunbelt states. The third criteria is where the numbers work, meaning the ratio between rent and price makes sense. And as of the month of April 2020, it does not make sense, as I said, in some of our classic markets like Vegas, like Phoenix, like Dallas, like Austin, markets where we bought many thousands of homes do not work. So what does work now? So one market that does work right now is the Oklahoma City market. If you look at the map, it's not that far from Dallas. And yet the prices are a lot lower than Dallas. The rent are somewhat lower, but not that much. The property tax is 250% lower than in Dallas. And they have the lowest unemployment in the whole United States out of all the big cities in the U.S. Of course, now we have the crisis, but I still believe their unemployment is quite low relative to many of the other big cities. In addition, they found enormous reserves of oil and gas not far from Oklahoma City. Of course, oil is super cheap now. I don't look for things like this, but it's just an extra that you get. Strong economy. And we are buying brand new homes. I like to buy brand new homes. It, it took me a while to realize it. I started off as all new investors, as a cash flow cowboy, buying old stuff in not so great locations. But I learned you buy in good areas only, and you buy brand new homes that come under warranty. So we are buying brand new homes in Oklahoma City from about 150,000 up to about 190 something, and they rent well. So typically the $170,000 home would rent for about 1,400 a month with very low property tax. So that's one market that works. Another market that still works is what I would call Central Florida. Well, the Orlando market is too high now for the same reason that the Phoenix market is too high. And the Tampa market is too high. Between Orlando and Tampa, we had bought a few thousand properties over the years, but they're too high. However, between Orlando and Tampa, there is growth, and it does make sense there. North of Orlando, there's very interesting stuff as well. East of Orlando, including on the shore, and south of Orlando. So the prices there are different. The prices are between 200 and maybe 225 except there's one pocket to the north of Orlando where there are properties to be had for as low as 140, and we can talk about that. And then another market that still makes sense is there are parts of Atlanta, it's a giant market, 
that do not work anymore, but there are parts that do. So that's another market. And our most expensive market right now is the Raleigh-Durham market, the research triangle in North Carolina. The prices there will be between 200 and 260, but they still work. And of course, it's a very popular market. We also buy in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, where the rents ratio is good. And pretty much these are the few markets that right now in 2020 make sense. What part of Atlanta works? Well, again, it's not a formula. It's not like you say, oh, you only buy in the South. But it is true that parts of the South of Atlanta work. But one thing, this is an important question, Joe, that you just raised. I live in the San Francisco Bay Area, and I learned a lesson over the 36 years that we've been doing it. I like to build trust with my teams in the field, with the people with whom we work, with our brokers and managers, and listen to them. So I listen to what they say, just like you, Joe, would be a super expert on the area where you live, your street, your city. I listen to them. So when I work in Atlanta, I listen to what they say as to what would be a good area. You clearly have a lot of experience and knowledge about a lot of markets, and you've been at this for a while. So I know we've got a lot to cover and a lot to learn. So you mentioned some markets that performed really well, and then you got out of. Let's talk about specific deals, and we'll talk about a couple or or one or two that have done really well. And on the flip side, we'd love to learn about a deal that maybe you lost money. So let's talk about what deal did you lose the most amount of money on and what can we learn from that? Well, I try to keep things very simple. So I like single family homes and I hope you don't mind, Joe, I'll give you about a minute segue before I answer because it's relevant. Sure. Single family homes, not only are the most liquid real estate because that's what all families want, But in many parts of the U.S., they're still quite affordable. So the American dream is a single-family home. But when I began, you can hear that I speak with an accent. So sometimes you can see things when you speak with an accent, which means you come from another country, that local people can't see. When I started investing, I could not believe. I thought it must be a mistake that you can get loans in this country which of course you all know very well, but to me, it was a mind blowing, 30 years fixed. That means the monthly payment and the mortgage balance never ever keep up with the cost of living. When I speak in Europe, people think I'm joking. They say, no, that's not possible. You have inflation in the US. 30 years ago, you bought a postage stamp for four cents. Now it's 50 something cents. 30 years ago in San Francisco, you went to the movies for two bucks. Now it's 14 bucks. You have inflation. You want to tell us that somebody's going to be crazy enough to lend you money for as long as 30 years where the payment and the balance never change. If that were to be true, which we don't believe it is because it's impossible, (laughs) it would be the biggest gift because your loan balance and your payment would be eroded by inflation constantly until... You don't have to wait for 30 years until in 14, 15 years, your loan is going to look like a joke. And that's exactly true. So really, it made a difference in the financial futures of thousands of people so far, because here's a typical story. I have a friend here in in the East Bay who's a doctor. 
he bought properties with us primarily in Phoenix in the beginning of the 2000s. He was in his 40s. He calls me up a couple of years ago and say, when he was 58, he's now 60. And he says, here's what one of my typical homes in Phoenix looks like. He bought 19 homes. He started with one, bought 19. Right now it's worth about 300,000 and the mortgage still has 14 years left and it's 47,000. See, that's what happens. The mortgage is only 15% of the value of the home. It never kept up with inflation while everything else did. So he sold three of his home, paid the capital gains, paid off the little 16 loans. And he said, I know I'm a doctor, but I'm not working anymore. That's it. I have 16 homes in Phoenix, free and clear. That's the vision. I've seen it happen thousands of times. Doesn't have to be 19 homes. I have people who change their life with two homes, with three, with one. So now going back, I try to make it simple. We buy single family homes. It's very simple. It's easy to rent and you get the magic loan. So I mentioned before, I like to buy brand new homes in good area. They come under builder's warranty, manufacturer's warranty. Also, it's easier to negotiate with builders because they can throw in a lot of goodies because they have all of the work crews in the field. So you can get better deals. So when I began, you asked me about deals that didn't go so well. I was, as I said, like a new investors, a cash flow cowboy. I was only going by the cash flow numbers on paper because people are home. And clearly when you buy in a bad area in town, on paper, the cash flow looks better. Of course, life doesn't happen on paper. After the second drug dealer kills the third smuggler, it doesn't look so good anymore. <laughs> but on paper, it looks good. So I too, when I started in Vegas, my first homes were little bad homes in bad areas that were very old. And luckily I learned to go to brand new homes in good areas. And I tried to make it very simple. So those deals with the older homes in not such good areas were the worst deals. Luckily, when you buy single family homes and you get the 30 year fixed rate loan, even the bad ones end up working well. I still own about six of those older homes I bought in Vegas back in the day. And as the years went by, they went well. Of course, they don't have any loans anymore. Right. Those were the worst deals because I was, again, and I warn all our listeners here, the, the cash flow numbers, don't let it lead you by the nose. I get people coming to me literally crying with tears. They bought in some market in the north of the country, in a city where the demographic growth is not so good, in a bad area, a cheap home. Why? Because the sheet of paper that somebody prepared showed cash flow. So with some of those earlier Vegas homes, about how much did you lose at most on one what property? I actually didn't lose. The only way that I lost, if you want to call it lost, when I began investing at the beginning of the 1980s, the interest rates were 14%. Yes, one four, 14. And I was putting the minimum down that Fannie Mae would let me, which was usually about 10%. You don't have to be a big mathematician. Mm-hmm. To calculate that when you put only 10% down and your interest rate is 14%, you're going to have a negative cash flow. So -hmm. that was the so-called loss. But I was working as a Silicon Valley engineer, well-paid, so I could sustain the loss. The tax laws were different back then, so I could write off the loss 
not like I can do now. So after taxes, it was still a little negative, but I had a very clear idea in my head that as the years go by, the mortgage payment will never change because it's fixed, but the rents will change with the cost of living. And that's what happened. So within a few years, it became break even, which for me at that time was cause for celebration because I knew it was only going to get better from now on. And then positive. Of course, the rates didn't stay at 14. They went down to 12 and 11 and 10. I remember the happy day when rates went to single digit. What a celebration that was. We all refinanced everything to 9.95. What a day that was. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Different perspective. Different time. Yeah. Just so I'm clear, you've been investing since the 1980s and you haven't really lost a large chunk of money, say over $15,000, $20,000 on any deal? There was one time that I lost when I was a passive investor in somebody else's syndication. I joined with an expert and we formed a syndication and he bought a apartment complexes. That was a segue from the single family home that I bought and some of those apartment complexes went well, and a couple of them ran smack into the recession. So on those two, I lost, I don't know if 15, 20,000, but probably I did. But again, that was an excellent lesson for me that single family homes are so powerful, so simple, and the loans are so good. Don't go out of that realm. And that's been what I've been focusing on not just for me, but for everyone else. Wow, that's outstanding to be investing for three, four decades and not having a loss of more than ten to 15000 on your own portfolio, not factoring in any passive investments that you did with partners. Yeah, um, the only losses were the passive investment, the, the syndications that an expert joined us because I'm not an expert in apartment complexes. And to me, that was a clear sign to stick with what I know and to right. stick with really. This has been working for decades now. A lot of people's lives have been changed. Based on your experience as a real estate investor who's focused on single family homes, what's your best advice ever for other real estate investors focused on single family homes? Absolutely. I talked about the three criteria of when to buy, but when you buy an investment single family home, here is what I advise you do. You put no more than 20% down. You get the 30-year fixed rate loan. Assuming that some of you cannot qualify. I have a lot of foreigners. We can talk about that. You use trusted property management firms. If you want, I'll be happy to connect you with firms and teams and infrastructure. We don't charge for that, by the way. It's not going to cost you. And then once the home is rented, that's the most important part. Now you do the hardest action for a human being to do. Nothing. That is so difficult for people to do. Just sit there. You have a home. You bought it. You have a loan. The tenant is paying off the rent. Just sit there and do nothing. People read in the newspaper. Then they read in this. And then they go to seminar. And they want to sell and refinance and check. Just do the most important action. Nothing. It's also the hardest action. We're going to do a lightning round. You ready for the best ever lightning round? Please. 
All right, let's do it. First, quick word from our best ever partners. Groundbreaker helps you increase productivity and investor satisfaction by automating fundraising, reporting, and investor relations through elegant and powerful workflows built by syndicators for syndicators. Go to groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe. That's groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe to get a free deal pitch deck template. When it's Friday at 4.30 p.m., it's time for Entrepreneur Drinks Podcast, which is co-produced by Joint Ops Properties and Discount Property Investors. Join their end-of-the-work-week session as they tackle problems facing entrepreneurs. Listen and subscribe at entrepreneurdrinks.com. That's entrepreneurdrinks.com. What's the best ever way you like to give back to the community? Well, you know, I've been an investor for 36 years and I own a lot of single family homes myself. To me, the absolute best way I can give back is doing exactly what I'm doing with you now. Letting people know that there is a simple way. You don't have to complicate. You don't have to take a lot of courses and go to seminars. Just buy a simple single family home. Again, rent it out and do nothing. And to put that word out like I did in my PBS show, remote control retirement reaches, which by the way, I could send you a link to, it was really fun. I'm giving back by helping people do exactly what I did because I see what a life changer it can be. How can the best ever listeners learn more about your business? People can learn more about our business by going to our website. It's called icgre.com and they can get in touch with us. Enjoyed learning about your market selection approach Sunbelt states that are pro-business, large metro areas, looking at the ratio between rent and purchase price, as well as the top property types that you purchase, brand new homes, and you mentioned different reasons why, as well as specific markets based off of the criteria that we discussed, Oklahoma City, Central Florida, parts of Atlanta, Raleigh-Durham, Baton Rouge. So enjoyed our conversation. Hope you have a best ever day and talk to you again soon. Joe, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much.